Thanks, Ryan. Good evening, everybody. You can say good day back if you want to. Yeah, that's good to hear. Good to hear that you're alive. Great passage, isn't it? Good on your Ryan. Hey, let's pray as we come to God's word together. Father, thank you already for the precious time that we've enjoyed uh, being together. Uh, Lord, just being able to be in your presence, to be together as brothers and sisters in Christ, but to know that you're here in the midst of us, Lord, and we've felt your touch already and spoken to us. Help us to speak to you, but to listen. And we pray that you'll give us ears to hear what you're saying to us now. And then give us the hearts and the enabling, Lord, to be able to go and do what you call us to do as your people, even, this, uh, even the rest of this evening and into this week, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, I thought I'd share with you um, a little model and uh, give you some tips on how to share your testimony. Let me read you something first. Sociology professor Tony Campolo he recalls a deeply moving incident that happened to him uh, at a junior, at a US junior high school camp where he was serving. And this is what he says about that particular very powerful event that impacted him greatly and the people that were at this particular camp. <clears throat> One of the campers, a boy with spastic paralysis, was the object of heartless ridicule. Hard to believe that could happen. When he would ask a question, the boys would deliberately answer in a stumbling, mimicking way. One night in his cabin, uh, his, sorry, one night his cabin group chose him to lead the devotions before the entire group, before the entire camp. It was one more effort to have some fun at his expense. Unashamedly, the spastic boy stood up. And in his strained, slurred manner, each word coming with enormous effort, he simply said, Jesus loves me and I love Jesus. That was all he said. That was enough. Conviction of the Holy Spirit fell upon those junior high schoolers. Many began to cry, weep. Revival gripped that camp. Years afterwards, Tony Campolo still meets people in ministry who came to Christ because of that testimony. Pretty amazing, isn't it? And look, I wonder here tonight, with you all here, I wonder how many of us tend to underestimate the power, the significance, the relevance of our own conversion testimonies. I wonder if you've really thought much about that. You do know, don't you, of course, that God uses the testimonies of Christians to powerfully influence and to change others' lives. Just look what happened to this spastic boy at that camp. Maybe you're here tonight and, and your own life has been deeply impacted, changed because of someone else's conversion story that you've heard. 
And I would be curious, and if you're embarrassed, don't do it, but I'd be curious to how many people, just raise your hands, if you can say tonight, yep, that was me. My life was changed because I heard someone's testimony about the Lord Jesus in their life. Anyone, can, can you testify to that? Yep, I can see one or two or three. There's a few hands coming up, a few of you are not sort of sure about that. Well, I'm one of those. My life was deeply impacted by the testimony of my own mother. And I think you've heard some of that before. Before mum died, she shared her testimony with me when she was 46 about how she came to Christ. And it impacted me deeply and the whole of my family. That's two, other brother, two, two sisters and a brother and a father. The whole lot of us gave our lives to Christ as a result of what mum went through. And it was a powerful thing that happened to her life. And she died six months later after that. But look how the Lord uses the testimony of people in the Bible. Just two examples, for example. The Samaritan woman. Remember that, John chapter 4. We know that story quite well. But listen to what they say about her. John chapter 4 and verse 39. Many of the Samaritans from that town, just look at the words, believed in him, believed in Jesus why? Because of the woman's testimony. Powerful, isn't it? And of course, the other one that comes to mind is the demon-possessed man in Mark chapter 5, verses 18 to 20. Look at this. As Jesus was getting into the boat, the man who had been demon-possessed begged to go with him. Jesus did not let him. Isn't that interesting? But he said these words. He said, Jesus said, go home to your own people and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has had mercy on you. So the man went away and he began to tell in the Decapolis. Isn't that interesting? Decapolis. There's 10 cities there. Not just in his own city, but he went to 10 cities. Decapolis, 10 cities as to how much Jesus had done for him. And look at the result. And all the people were amazed. What did Jesus tell him to do? After he'd come to know him? Go back home and tell your testimony. Share your testimony. What were the results of his testimony? And all the people were amazed. Because they knew him before, and now they see him now. Is that the same man? Of course they'd be amazed. Maybe people are amazed at what Jesus has done in your own life. Don't underestimate that. You see, because I, I, I believe that one of the more common fears that Christians have when it comes to sharing their faith is the feeling of, oh, I'm just not, you know, I don't have enough Bible knowledge, and I just don't know enough, and, you know, could God really use me, and, all that kind of stuff. But the fear of not knowing enough. Well, let me put this challenge to you. How much scriptural knowledge do you think these two biblical characters had before they went and shared what Jesus had done to change their lives? How much of the scripture do you think they would have known? Now, listen, I'm not saying that we ought not to increase our Bible knowledge. We do. Be encouraged. <laughs> Continue to grow and develop your scriptural knowledge. You need to do that. But no, don't just let it sit up here. Let it filter its way down into your heart. Know more about the things of God. Know more about the scripture so that you might be even more um, 
conform to the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. That's what he wants you to know more about. Grow in the grace and knowledge of our Lord and Saviour, Jesus Christ, Peter says. Yeah, do that. But sharing your testimony is simply sharing your story about how you came to know Jesus, how he transformed your life, and what he means to you now. For no matter how eventful or even non-eventful that you may feel your conversion was, the fact is, and you need to lock into this, the fact is that when you came to faith in Christ, something miraculous happened. And I don't think we kind of get this all that much. When you came to genuine faith in Christ, you crossed over from death to life. You get that? That's what happened to you. You came from death to life. Listen to what Jesus says in John chapter 5 and verse 24. He says, Very truly I tell you, whoever hears my word and believes him who sent me has eternal life and will not be judged or will not be condemned. Look at these next words. But has crossed over from death to life. From death to life, and my dear, precious friends, this morning, this evening, that's a miracle. Um, you're one of God's miracles. And don't you think that's worth talking about? So I wonder, have you had the opportunity to do that? Or when was it the last time that you actually were able to do that? Because I want you tonight to ask God to help you do this. I want you to put legs on your faith. We're blessed to be yet, we're blessed with the teaching that we receive in our church. My challenge tonight is this year, because we're going to be talking a lot more about discipleship. My, my challenge to you is start praying and saying, God, I want to be out of shit. Some of you are doing it already, praise God. But some of you are a little bit kind of sitting back there, you're not sure about this. Be bold and say, God, would you give me the courage and the enabling and the opportunity to start sharing my faith? Let me, I'm going to give you some tools to do that tonight. See, the Apostle Paul, when he was converted to Christ, was given a commission by God, powerful commission by God. And a lot of it had to do with his testimony. In fact, as Paul shared his testimony to that crowd in Acts chapter 22... He tells them what God had said to him through Ananias. Acts chapter 22, verse 15, he says, God said to him, Paul, you will be his witness to all the people of what you have seen and heard. Of what you have seen and heard. And that's really what the testimony is. That's what your testimony is. You're simply telling others about what you have personally seen and heard about Jesus Christ in your life, about Jesus and what and from Jesus as he has spoken into your life and you've listened to him and you know what he's saying to you. So you're sharing about what you know about Jesus and how he speaks to you now, the things that he's been saying to you in your life. As you walk with him in fellowship, in communion, in relationship with him, day in, day out. It's a walking, talking relationship. And so you're testifying and sharing that with other people. And they can see the difference in you. 
This is an excellent model. I think it's not just the only model, but it's a good model for each of us to use as we learn to, and I want to challenge it, learn to write. If you haven't written out your testimony, learn to write it, learn to share your testimonies. There's three phases I want to talk about tonight of sharing your testimony. Three, these are the little tools I just want you to take on board tonight. If it's helpful, great. And it's simply this, three, three little tools. First of all, life before you became a Christian. Secondly, how you became a Christian. Thirdly, life for you since you became a Christian. They're the three things. And it's interesting because Paul does exactly this. In this next passage, and I'm going to be reading from Acts 26 now, um, you'll see these things happening as Paul shares his testimony here now to King Agrippa when he's in Caesarea. So for Paul in Acts 26, he first describes... He first describes his life before he became a Christian. Now look at this passage here. Turn to Acts 26, and I'm reading from verses 9 down to verse 11. And so Paul says this, he's talking to, before the king now. He says, I too was convinced that I ought to do all that was possible to oppose the name of Jesus of Nazareth. And that's just what I did in Jerusalem. On the authority of the chief priests, I put many of the Lord's people in prison. And when they were put to death, I cast my vote against them. Many a time, I went from one synagogue to another to have them punished. And I tried to force them to blaspheme. I was so obsessed with persecuting them that I even hunted them down in foreign cities. Life for Paul before he met Christ. There was that time in Paul's life when he opposed, vehemently opposed, the Lord Jesus Christ and he hated Christians. And he admitted, for example, in Acts 22, of giving approval to those who were, going, who were stoning Stephen to death. You see, the reality, for, for li the reality of life for Paul was that before that before he met Jesus, though sincerely religious, he was nonetheless sincerely wrong. Have you met people who say, look, that person's got to be right. They're so sincere about their religion. I've heard people say that, but they're very sincere. Sure, but they're sincerely wrong if they're preaching something else other than Jesus Christ and him crucified. Paul was sincerely wrong. Not only that, he was, he was spiritually dead. And Paul himself describes that condition for people when he says, when he talks, when he talks to the Ephesians, Ephesians chapter 2, verse 12, he talks about that condition as being without hope and without God in the world. Without hope, without God in the world. And that's where he was. Even though he was full of religious knowledge and understanding, he was without God and without hope in the world because he had not acknowledged Jesus Christ as his Lord and Saviour. What a place to be in without hope, without God in the world. You know, I could be talking to someone here tonight and you can relate to that condition yourself. Before you met Jesus, you might be thinking, yep, that was me. I know what that's like before I met Christ. So it might be, you might be in that category tonight, or there might be others here tonight, and you're just simply saying, well, that's where I am right now. 
That's where I am right now. Let me say this to you, if you're in that category, that can change for you tonight, this very night. This very night, if you choose Jesus Christ as your Lord and Saviour, you become, you transfer from death to life. You transfer from being hopeless to hopeful, filled with hope, filled with him, his spirit, forgiveness of sin, the gift of eternal life. That can be yours tonight if you so choose Jesus. And see, that's how Paul was before he met Jesus Christ and became a Christian. And he described that part of his life, phase one, in his testimony. Now, in your testimony, a couple of tips here. You need to be able to describe that phase as Paul did. Focus on those experiences that you had before you met Jesus. Talk about the problems, the issues, the feelings that you had, the fears that you had, the desires that you had. Perhaps some of those desires was for wealth and success. That was your goal. That was your priority. You know, to win that $100 million lotto. Then I'll be right. It'll, it'll all be right for me if I can just get that, that, that extra money. Some Christians who probably think like that now, well, you need to, talk, talk, to have a little talk to the Lord about that attitude. But they're the kind of things that you need to think about right now because when you share that, people want to know, yeah, but what were you like? You've always been religious, haven't you? No. Before I met Christ, these were the kinds of things that I was involved in. This is how I used to think, feel, act. So again, what you're doing is that you're writing down something in that first phase of life before you became a Christian. Just like Paul did. And then the second phase for Paul is that he now describes life, um, sorry, he now describes how he became a Christian, how that actually happened. Look at these verses again from Acts 26, reading from verse 12. He goes on in this testimony, he says this, on one of these journeys I was going to Damascus with the authority and commission of the chief priests. About noon, King Agrippa, I was on the road. And I saw a light from heaven, brighter than the sun, blazing around me and my companions. We all fell to the ground. And I heard a voice saying to me in Aramaic, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? It's hard for you to kick against the goads. Then I asked, who are you, Lord? I am Jesus whom you are persecuting, the Lord replied. Now get up and stand on your feet. I have appeared to you to appoint you as a servant and as a witness of what you have seen and will see of me. I will rescue you from your own people and from the Gentiles. I am sending you to them to open their eyes and to turn them from darkness to light and from the power of Satan to God so that they may receive forgiveness of sins and and place among those who are sanctified by faith in me. So in that phase, that phase two, Paul now describes how he became a Christian. And of course, Paul's conversion is pretty unique, isn't it? I don't think too many of us could sort of match a conversion like that. And there, you know what? You don't have to. Paul had a very powerful, he had a very dramatic conversion. We know that. But not everybody does. 
And that doesn't really matter. The important thing is not how dramatic your conversion experience was, but that you were converted to Christ. You met Jesus, and it may have been in a quiet place in, the, in your bedroom, kneeling beside your bed one day. And you may not have had any bells, whistles, lights, or flashing you know, thunder or lights or anything like that. It may have been just a very beautiful, quiet, intimate time that you had with the Lord, but you knew that you'd met Jesus. And the ensuing days that happened after that, it was just confirmation for you. Because, see, attitudes start to change. Desires, wants, all these things begin to change. Doesn't necessarily happen overnight, but things begin to change for you because you've changed. I love how Paul puts this. And when you were converted to Christ, this is what happened to you. This is just one of the things that happened to you, but a magnificent thing. 2 Corinthians 5.17. These are good verses to write down somewhere to know where to go to find them. Therefore, Paul says, therefore, the word of God says, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has gone, the new has come. Powerful, isn't it? That's what happened to you. Whether there was bells, whistles or flashes of lightning, doesn't matter. When you met Christ, not only did you cross over from death to life, you became a new creation. The old life, down there, gone, gone. The new life has come. No longer under God's condemnation, but you were before you met Jesus. And can you say, that was me? You know, that's, if you're able to say that, that was me. That's what happened to me. I know the Lord met me. I became a new creation. And it's helpful for you to, to write those kinds of things down. Reinforce in your own mind about what happened to you. It'll bless you as well as you just ponder and as you think about how you met Jesus and the things he said to you, the way he touched you. Write it down in a clear, succinct way. The things that led you to Christ, how you knew God was speaking to you. How you, how you were made aware, how you realised your need for Jesus, that sin was the master of your life. That's where you were. But then you received the Lord Jesus Christ as you repented of your sin, as you confessed your sin, and you accepted him by faith. And now rather than sin being the master of your life, Jesus Christ is the master of your life. He's now on the throne of your life. You take your orders from him. Doesn't mean that sin's done away with completely. We still live and, and dwell in this sinful body. I know that. So the temptations are still there. And there are times we do fall. But sin is no longer your master. Christ is. As you accepted him by faith. So in other words, this part of it, of your testimony, is how you became a Christian. People want to know that. And it'll be good for you to know and reflect on those kinds of things because there will be occasions when God will bring opportunities for you to come across, when people come across your path. And you may not sit down and go from start to finish. God will help you to bring your testimony in at a certain time, at a certain phase. You might say, yes, I can relate to that because once I was like that, I, I, I know the kind of feelings that you're talking about. Never say to somebody, by the way, I know how you feel. Please don't say that. That's hollow. It doesn't work because you don't know how people feel. You can relate to feelings. 
but you don't know how that person feels because you're not them. Anyway, so that was phase two. Let's move on to phase three. Phase three then for Paul was life for Paul since becoming a Christian. Look at that. Look at these verses here as Paul describes that from verses 19 and 26 down to 23. So then, King Agrippa, I was not disobedient to the, vi- to the vision from heaven, first to those in Damascus and then to those in Jerusalem and in all Judea, and then to the Gentiles. I preached that they should repent and turn to God and demonstrate their repentance by their deeds. That is why some Jews seized me in the temple courts and tried to kill me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. I am saying nothing beyond what the prophets and Moses said would happen, that the Messiah would suffer and as the first to rise from the dead would bring the message of light to his own people and to the Gentiles. So Paul's now talking about life since he became a Christian. He's testifying about how wonderful and how blissful and how trouble-free his life is. Did you you read that in there? Didn't he have a wonderful, trouble-free life since he met Jesus? Not quite that way for Paul. As the Lord clearly told Ananias as he sent him to minister to the then known Saul of Tarsus with the words from the Lord, And God said, the Lord said to Ananias about Paul, he said, I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. And you know, what we need to be careful of and what you need to be careful of is when you share your testimony is that you're not basically saying to people, you know, you just accept Jesus and life will be such a a, a blessing for you. No, you can't say that because if you're living on planet Earth, it won't be. Sometimes it'll be harder. But here's the difference, and Paul says it. Paul suffered big time, more than we would, more than we have. But he says this, and it's part of his testimony. Acts 26, verse 22. Look what Paul says. But all all this stuff going on, yeah, people threaten to kill me. I've been dragged out, been beaten, thrown into prison. But he says in verse 16, sorry, verse 22 of, of 26, But God has helped me. But God has helped me to this very day. So I stand here and testify to small and great alike. And as I said, I doubt there would be a Christian on this planet. In fact, there wouldn't be. Whose testimony would not include suffering of one kind or another since you came to Christ. But whose testimony, listen, would also include where God has helped you to this very day. And that's the difference. When people are going through trials and tribulations and struggling, when they're going through storms, they don't see any way out of this. But you do. Because you know that you're not walking alone. Though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? Because you are with me. 
And you could only, and a, and a Christian, a person who knows Jesus personally, is the only person who can say that. Lots of people walk into the valley of the shadow of death and they're on their own, mate. When you know Jesus, you'll never, it's that song, I'll never walk alone, you know what I mean? But you won't be alone. Jesus says, I am with you. The psalmist says this <coughs> in, uh, in Psalm 46, verse 1, God is our refuge and strength. And listen, an ever-present help in trouble. How present is he? How present? Now and again, yeah. Thank you. Say it in a big voice. Who was that? (laughs) Rochelle. Ever-present. And folks, we need to grab hold of these promises that God gives us. This is why Charlie spoke about it this morning. I'll speak about it as well. You need to journal. If you're not doing that, start doing it. Write these promises down, and these words will spring out to you. You probably know this first, but did you know that he's ever present? That means he's ever with you. There's not a time when he's not with you. There's not a place, there's not a circumstance in your life where you're walking alone, where you are on your own, even though you might feel abandoned and on your own. He is the ever-present help. Thank you, Jesus. You are the ever-present help. That's all part of your testimony. And even though suffering was true for Paul, yep, and it's true for us, true also were the words that Paul shared in his testimony in part when he said this to the Philippians. Listen to what Paul also says. He says, Philippians 3, 7 and 9, he says, but whatever was to my profit, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. He says, what is more, I consider everything a loss compared to the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. He says, I consider them rubbish that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law, which he used to walk in, but that which is through faith in the Christ, in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God and is by faith. Wow, that's part of his testimony. You see, what Paul did in phase three of his testimony was to, t- was to tell the result of the, the surpassing greatness of knowing Christ Jesus in his life. The difference that Jesus has made since he became a Christian. That he's no longer under God's wrath and condemnation. There's no fear of judgment anymore. Why? Well, because his sins are forgiven. And so are yours in faith, in in, in the Lord Jesus Christ. When you put your faith in him, your sins are forgiven. If your sins are forgiven and wiped away, then there's no cause for judgment. There's no cause for judgment. There's no cause for condemnation. There's no cause to be fearful of the future because your sins have been wiped away. We should be dancing in the aisles. No, don't do that. We're Baptists. But we should be rejoicing and, and, and singing hallelujah because we're no longer under condemnation. Our sin has been washed away. Therefore, what's been the difference in your life since meeting the Lord Jesus Christ? 
And I believe people will see as well as hear the difference in a person who has met Jesus personally. Particularly if they have known you before you met Christ. They will see a difference. And this reminds me of someone, it was a long time ago now, but I can still remember this girl's testimony, her own baptismal testimony. And it came because she knew a guy, uh, he's, it's, it's Robin and Robbie, Robin and Robbie. He was a rebel. He was a bit of a, I don't know what you call him, a bit of a party man, party animal. Is it right to say party animal? That's what he was. That's what he did. He was a club football player. He was a ladies' man. He was all of those things. He used to dance on the tables at some of the functions that they used to go to, drunk, dancing. This girl, Robbie, knew him in those situations, knew what he was like. This man came to Christ. Powerful conversion, came to know Jesus. His life dramatically changed. He went to Bible college, he entered Christian ministry. It doesn't mean that when you come to Christ, by the way, that you're going to go to Bible college and enter ministry. This guy did. He was, he, actually, he was, a, he was one of the youth leaders when I was a young bloke at Ashgrove Baptist Church. Well, I'll give it a bit away now. But uh, Robin, great guy. What a testimony. She knew him before he met Christ. And as I said, at her own testimony, at her baptism, she said these words. She said, I had to find out what changed him so much. Because she saw, she knew him before. Now she sees this incredible change in this man's life. And she had to find out what changed you so much. And that change in him brought her to Christ. No, nope, they never became an item. They both met other people and married. Others didn't marry. We all thought that they'd link up together. It never happened. But powerful stuff. We need to be able to share, to be able to testify what being a Christian means to us now. And I suppose as I sort of started to hint on this, be honest. Be honest in expressing the fact that you still, to this day, continue to face struggles. You still face challenges and trials in your life. Don't tell people that your path is all smooth now. Don't tell them that life's all wonderful and there's no issues and problems. There are some who do that and it's just wrong. It's not real. Be real. But So don't, don't be honest about the fact that you still face struggles and trials and so on and so forth as they do. But listen, here's the difference. But you also need to mention how Jesus strengthens you, how you know that he's there with you, how he helps you, how he has forgiven you, how he's promised to be with you always in everyday adventures and misadventures of your life. They need to know that. They need to see the authentic reality of, of what life is for you now that you've met Christ. Tell them that he's promised, saying in Matthew 28, verse 20, I am with you. When? Yeah. Thanks, Lord. You're with me always in all situations. Always until the very end of the world. A couple other little hints, hints, just be sensitive to how much time you spend. I've spent a lot of time in this phase, but you need to be careful about how much time you spend in this phase. Particularly if you are sharing with a person who doesn't, know, who doesn't yet know Christ, because they need to know mainly how you got that way. 
Tell them the story. And then close your testimony. I need to move on. Close your testimony in such a way that it leads to further conversation about salvation. I think that's important. Leave an opening for that person to respond to you then. You might ask them the question, you know, has anything ever happened to, happened to you like that? And if they're listening and you know that they're listening and you know that they're not sort of rolling their eyes and looking elsewhere, you can ask them another question such as, have you come to that place? Can I ask you, have you come to that place yourself? You know, where, where you know that if your life were to finish now, if you, if you were to die, that, that you would be in heaven with Jesus. Do, do you have that assurance? And you can ask them that. Just need to listen to where God's leading you with that person. And then phase four. If there's a phase four, let me do it very quickly. Because for Paul, there was a phase four. There may be a phase four. For, well, there will be. Listen to how it was for Paul. So he's just shared this incredible story about how Jesus met him, how he changed his life. Look what happens now. Phase four is from 24 uh, down to about 30, 29 or something. Look at this. At this point, Festus interrupted Paul's defense. He said, you're out of your mind, Paul, he shouted. Your great learning is driving you insane. I'm not insane, most excellent Festus, Paul replied. What I am saying is true and reasonable. The king is familiar with these things and I can speak freely to him. I am convinced that none of, of this has escaped his notice because it was not done in the corner. King Agrippa, do you believe the prophets? I know you do. Then Agrippa said to Paul, do you think that in such a short time you can persuade me to become a Christian? Isn't that interesting? Paul replied, short time or long, I pray to God that not only you, but all who are listening to me today may become what I am, except for my chains, he says. So there was a response. And, and look, I, I would just simply say, you need to pray, obviously before you share your testimony, but pray that God will give you the wisdom to know where you go with this when there is a response. And you need to be aware of the fact that someone might turn around to you and say, you're a twit. You know, what's happened to you? You're a nutcase. And, and you might need to be prepared for it, but don't get wounded by that. Step aside and say, Jesus, you heard what they said about you. Don't become personally wounded or offended by that. People are just reacting. Satan reacts to the truth about Jesus and he'll come through the people that you're probably talking to. If it's negative reaction, then perhaps do something like Paul said, where if they say, this is rubbish, you say, no, it's not rubbish. Everything I've told you is perfectly true. Just like Paul said. Don't become argumentative. Don't become defensive. Don't kind of start getting on your digs and you know what I mean? Argue the point with them. That doesn't go anywhere. Just pray for them because at this point, God's dealing with them, not you. It's his work, it's not yours. So leave the results with the Lord. If it's a positive time, if it's positive and they're asking more questions, oh, look, I could go on for ages. When we were at Care Outreach, this actually happened. I shared some of my testimony to this, this beautiful couple, Rosemary and I both went there. They're about our age. And, he, and I could see him looking at us. He just looked and he listened. We were in their home. It was, God just arranged this. Thank you for praying. It was such an incredible time. And this guy, and I didn't want to force this down his throat. I'm trying to just share a little bit. And he came back after we talked about other things. He said, tell me more about how you met Jesus. Words to that effect. Tell me what happened. He wanted to know more. 
And so we shared more with him. Just let the spirit of God carry it along. Be there for him. You know, and if, and if you're finding that this person's just listening and they're asking and they're drinking this in, then ask them if they'd like you to explain the gospel message to them. Now, listen, this is where it can become a little bit tricky for you. If, you're not, if you don't feel very comfortable about, goodness, what steps do I need to, to lead someone to Christ? If you're getting that point and you know that that person is ready to be one for Christ, what you can do, I used to carry these in my pocket. Bridge to life or knowing God personally, they're little tracks. I use this one myself for a lady. Another story, another time. She, all I will simply say is that she was uh, terminally ill. The daughters had been praying for their mother who was against the things of God. I went to see her one day because she was in the hospital, palliative care, terminally ill. And I, God prompted me to put that in my pocket, so I did. Slipped in my pocket. I went in, I introduced myself to her. I was expected to be told, take a walk, mate. Not interested, because that's what she'd been saying for 20 years or so. But God had so done something in her heart where she was open to hear the gospel. And I shared with her, and I pulled out that little tract. And in it, there's all these little, little um, you won't be able to see it from here, but there's little, little uh, illustrations and, and, and scriptures. And I walked her through this, her and her husband, both. It's a fantastic little tool to use. Carry it in your pocket if you're not sure. Keep it there. And I went through it with this lady. And her and her husband both, made a, uh, both prayed a prayer of commitment to Christ. Awesome. And it was only a matter of weeks after that she did that she died and I took a funeral. Her husband, I don't think, this is my judgment and it might be wrong, I don't think he was as real as she was. I think in sympathy he prayed the prayer with her. But I think that she was the one who really did change. I could see it in her eyes. You, know, you might think that's a bit weird, but I could see the change in this lady's eyes when she met Christ. When I used to talk to her, all she wanted to talk about was heaven. She wanted to talk about Jesus. What an incredible transformation had taken place. It's the work of the Holy Spirit. And it was so exciting to be part of what God wants to do. And he wants to do that through you. Let me keep moving on. I'm raving on too much. But look, these things are available. We've got them in the church. I think, Pete, we've got a heap of these, haven't we, somewhere? Yeah. They're not expensive, but they're good little things to have. Let me just keep walking through this. So those three phases again, quickly. Life before you became a Christian, how you became a Christian, life since you became a Christian. And here's your homework. Write it out. If you haven't done it already, write it out. Write it out again under those headings. Read it out loud. You know, time yourself. You need, if you're going to have somebody in your, you know, in your grasp for that time, three minutes. Three minutes is all you really need to do. Don't go any more than that. Don't let it become converse. Don't let it become... Sorry, does, does it sound conversational is what I'm saying. It needs to be conversational, not preachy at them. Don't be formal. Be yourself is the important thing. Be yourself. God's made you to be who you are. And he wants you to be who you are. He wants you to be the redeemed person that he has redeemed you to be. He wants you to be the best you that you can be. And he wants to put you in those places where no one else will be. You're unique. He wants to put you in those places. So be yourself. Don't try to be someone that you're not. Be real. Be you. And then ask. Pray and ask the Lord to help you to share that testimony with someone who doesn't yet know Christ and let the Holy Spirit do his work because it's so exciting to watch God working and he uses people just like me 
and just like you. But be there. Be available. Let him do it. It'll just bless your socks. It'll be such an exciting thing. And then you want to share that with other people. Enough raving on. Thank you. But let's do this. Let's do this, folks. In 2019, let's see God doing his work through people just like us. Amen? Let's pray. Father, thank you for... Thank you for the mighty God that you are. Thank you, Jesus, for coming into this world and giving us life. Thank you, Lord, for the incredible difference that you've made in our lives. And, and I pray for my precious brothers and sisters here today, Lord. Fill their hearts with a joy, with an expectancy that, Lord, this year is going to be a year of great blessing. A year when we learn how to share our testimony, you learn to, 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 to be bold, Lord, not afraid, but to, to really, as it were, put you to the test in that sense that, that we're going to trust you and say, Lord, here I am. You know everything about me. Help me. Please help me to be available. Help me to have the desire to want to share this testimony with someone else. And then, Lord, if it please you, may I be there for you if it means reaping that harvest. I've seen that person come to Christ. Lord, here I am. Here I am. I'm available for you. Send me. Lord, use me. And I pray you will. And I pray that we will hear lots of good news stories from people as they have that joy of sharing their faith. Thank you, Lord, for being amongst us here, this, here tonight. Bless us. Go with us, we pray, the rest of this evening and indeed through the week in Jesus' precious name. And God's people said, amen. Bless you, folks. Exciting. Come and talk to me. Tell me how God has been using you during this, uh, this new year that's ahead of us.